Hallelujah. It is a great time to get to know other people and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it says bring your food. Uh, who is having barbecued uh, ribs at their home group next Sunday? Anybody? Well, Phyllis and I are coming. Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hmm. All right. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke, the 15th chapter. I want to start speaking to you today about sowing and reaping. Hopefully, I'm going to get through with it so that we can move on to another subject besides the money of the kingdom and its purpose. Remember, money without a purpose is simply a trap waiting to snare you. And then we're going to talk about this prodigal son. I just want to bring out one or two things about it. And it's in Luke, the 15th chapter and verses 11. And Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of the son said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto him his living. There is no question, no restraint, no argument. It belongs to him. It's his right to have. He gives it to him. And not many days after, the young man gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now we discover that the young man that once lived under righteous rule or righteous ways was blessed, but now he moves into a way that's not blessed and he begins to lose all that he has. And he says, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself unto a citizen of that country. Now there are two countries represented here, the country that he came out of and the country that he is now joined to. Two different set of laws, two different set of rules, and two citizenships. And he says this, and he sent him into his feed, field to feed the swine. And he would frame have filled his belly with the husk that, that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how much hired servants of my father's house have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father's house, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned. Somebody say sinned. Anybody know the wages of sin? Is it just for servants or for all? You sin and you're a son, you're dead. And it says this, against heaven and before thee. Every sin is twofold, one against man and one against God. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me a servant, one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father's house. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against thee, against heaven, against thee in heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son but the father said unto his servants bring forth the best robe put it on him and put forth a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it let him eat and be married and this my son was dead he was dead somebody say dead not just separated. Somebody say dead. 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 Somebody say he was now he's alive. He was lost. Somebody say lost. Now Jesus came to save the lost. The lost need salvation. Evidently they don't have it. Now out of this I want to bring a few things. There are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of darkness. There is the kingdom of light. Each kingdom functions, operates off of, a seed process. The seed process, we know that an enemy can sow into righteous sowings and produce tares. And we cannot always reverse that, but it is the enemy that does that when we are unaware or we do not keep watch. And then we know that Jesus speaks of seed in the kingdom of God. 
the seed, the whole kingdom of God, is a process that is a, if a man would sow a seed into the ground and he would see it sleep night and day and see it then grow. So there are two kingdoms, there are two citizenships. One citizen cannot function in the kingdom of another. He must live out of the kingdom where he is a citizen thereof. Could I get an amen? That, that, that makes basic common sense. And then we realize that this young man forfeited his sonship rights. Not that he did not have access to come back, but in his separated state, he was dead. Somebody say dead. He was bound by the, the rights of another country. He then took on the nature of the citizenship of that country. So I want you to realize that everybody has a choice. Somebody say a choice. Now you can stay in the Father's a rule and you can stay in the kingdom of the Father's dominion or of his household. Or you can leave anytime at your discretion and you can go back to the world or go into the world and you can become a citizen of that world. What you can't do is be a citizen of the Father's house and still live by the principles of the kingdom. Now, the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, I didn't. Jesus said, how do you call me Lord? It's so bumfuggling to God that when he presents a man with the ways of life, men would still choose to live by the ways of death. He said, why do you call me Lord? Which ensures you of citizenship and abundant life and then you don't do my word that creates this life to be possible in you Jesus doesn't understand that Joshua let's go to Joshua 24 15 Joshua 24 15 where Joshua is challenging the people and uh, he says these words to them in hopes to cause them to turn to God in a wholeheartedness. Joshua 24, 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if ye, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve. Somebody say, life is filled with choices. And it says, whether the gods which are your fathers, that your fathers served were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is, is that brought us up out of our and our fathers out of the land of Egypt for the house from the house of bondage, which did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. Now here Joshua tells Israel this, that as a believer, you have an option. As a believer, you can continue to serve, to live. What does serving God mean? It means that we submit and commit to his ways despite all options. Thank you for those five, yeah, amen, amen. It means nothing less and nothing more. Anything less is simply replacing God with another system instead of faith. All right, so Joshua says this, now you can serve the gods that your father served while they were in bondage in Egypt. In other words, we all learn certain ways from our parents. And not, of them, not all of them are godly. Amen? We can learn the ways of the world 
from our parents. We can see how they handle things, and we handle things just like they do. In other words, that's the gods. Those are the things that they let rule their life. Now, it's not that they haven't come out. It's not that they haven't been delivered. It's just that when they got saved, they just adhered to the old ways of a carnal man. And they just never renewed their mind to be different. So even though they're brought out, even though they're under the blood of the Passover lamb, what do they do? They still submit to the rule of something that is not God. And then it says, or you could serve the God of the Amorites whose land that you dwell in. In other words, all of us, every day, get to choose if we're going to live life like people that do not know God in our community, in our nation, and in our world. They may not be something that we have learned from our fathers or mothers, but we have learned them from our associations. Could I get an amen? Absolutely. Too many times we are influenced by associations. And so we let other people's influence become our guide or our rule. Their influence dominates the decisions and the ways that we do things. And so we're going to talk about giving the way that God wants us to give. We're talk, going to talk about sowing and reaping. We're going to talk about living as citizens of the kingdom of God, not as men and women that have been formed by our mothers and fathers in all good intent or influenced by a world that we are now in. Now, let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 13 through 16. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. Now, we're going to get into our message, but I'm just laying some foundation and uh, just to establish some of the things that maybe we forget what the meaning of it is. Whosoever ways that you submit to is considered a deity in your life. Hebrews 11, 13. And it says in this, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country that is an heavenly one. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to, call, to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Here we see that people that served God were called pilgrims. Does anybody know what a pilgrim is? Well, they're the beginner, beginning, beginners of thanksgiving. No. They're the guys that wore the funny hats and, and their wives wore funny bonnets. No. A pilgrim is considered an alien. An alien. Someone from a foreign country, not who has immigrated and changed their citizenship, but is someone that is considered to live by a set of rules that are not common by everyone around them. They were aliens. They were weirdos. They were peculiar people. They were foreigners in the people's eyes. In other words, they were the sons and daughters of Abraham, and Abraham in Genesis, the 12th chapter, was called the man from the other side. He was called a Hebrew. He that hath come from the other side of the river. In other words, Abraham is not like us. Abraham is not like us. We are foreigners. 
we are to live by a different set of rules, a different set of laws. Could I get an amen? Help me here a little. Listen, when we become Christians, the thing that establishes our surrender to Jesus' lordship is that we forsake all other forms of government and rule and submit ourselves to him by saying, not our will, but thine be done. Now, the question is not whether Christians are different. The question is, if Jesus came riding in here on a donkey, what would be your proclamation? Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes the Messiah, my Savior. Then he'd ride one down this aisle and you'd say, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes the Messiah, my healer. Over on this side, the donkey would come down. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who meeteth all my needs. You come down here. Hosanna, Hosanna to him that delivereth me and setteth the captive free. Then here would come down the donkey on this side and they would be crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, behold he that maketh the way where there is no way. In other words, when Jesus comes in to the life of an individual, he comes in in different ways. Some people see him as savior. Some people see him as healer. Some people see him as need meter. Some people see him as deliverer. But really, Jesus is all that man needs. And he doesn't need multiple dimensions. What he needs is to become the primary source of every believer. Jesus needs to be Lord of our life. Could it get an amen? All right. Now, let's turn to Matthew 16 and verse 16. What I'm talking to you about is different laws, different citizenships, different kingdoms, and that you and I are to be different, to be different. You know, Daniel's accusation or the other presidents or the other rulers of uh, the providences in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar was accused, was laid an accusation against Daniel. And here's what they said. We will never find any uncleanness in Daniel. Not against the king, he's going to do what's right. Not against other people, he's going to do what's right. If we are going to find fault with Daniel, we're going to have to look between him and his relationship with God. Now, did they find none, any? No, they found none. Somebody say they found none. Well, Daniel was known for his walk with God. He was known not to be partakers of the pleasantries of the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar that were offered to all of the eunuchs. He was known never to slip up or to harm or wrong any man. And he was known as a man that lived his convictions and lived his life by the ordinance of God and not by King Nebuchadnezzar. Did not mean that he hated Nebuchadnezzar. It meant that he loved God. Now, in Matthew, the 16th chapter, in verse 16, it says this. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Somebody say, there's a kingdom. Remember we talked about that. The kingdom of one and the kingdom of another. You're a citizen of one kingdom, but you cannot be 
a citizen of both. You can't do it. And it says this, and king of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be, shall be bound, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Those were the keys of the kingdom. What were these keys of the kingdom? That loose and bind. They opened heaven to be active on earth, and they closed the dominion and the ruler of the one that reigns on earth, which is the God of this world. They bind him so that he cannot be productive against the believer. These are keys. These are keys to the kingdom. If you want to experience the kingdom, you're going to have to use the keys. Could I get an amen? Now, remember, you have access to the kingdom just like the prodigal son had access to his father. But you're going to have to use the keys. If you do not use the keys, it doesn't mean that you're not in the kingdom. It simply means that you are living substandard to the kingdom's position. Now, having said that, let's go to Romans 8, 1 through 6. Romans 8, 1 through 6. There you go. And it says, There is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. In other words, there's no judgment, no sentencing to death. And then it says this, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Anytime you start walking after the flesh, after you have pursued the Spirit, then guess what? There is conviction, there is condemnation. Ultimately, if rejected, there is bastardship and death. But we don't have to do that. It says this. Now, watch these words. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life, and peace. Now notice that we have two sets of Christians. One that seeks the way of the Spirit and one that seeks the way of carnality or the way of the world, the sense-dominated person. They have more faith in what they see and what they can do than in what God has declared. Now notice the word law. The word law. There are two ways to live life, by the flesh or by the Spirit. The word law means a rule of action. In other words, it's something that when action is set forth, certain laws are set in motion that cause that action to become reality. Okay, so it's an action on any truth revealed in the scripture. That's a law, which always produces life. There is also the law of action that has to do with death. If you don't do certain things in the kingdom of God, you are going to die. You're going to die. You're going to be, once you get separated from the kingdom of God, by an absence of your submission to the way of God, you are going to be connected to another kingdom. All you have to do is stop doing the things that God requests or asks or speaks to a, a Christian to do. That's all you have to do. You say, don't I have to willfully walk away? Well, I don't know. Does that mean that you could get lukewarm and still go to heaven? Come on. Could you get lukewarm and still go to heaven? So it's expedient that every Christian sets in motion the way or the laws that govern our life 
that connects us with the kingdom of God. Amen. Now, they may seem foolish to the world, but they are the ways of life. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody just stop me if you think I'm telling you wrong. I'm not telling you wrong. It's real simple. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you will seek the things of the Spirit. And if he's not, you'll ultimately drift back to the things of the world. Now, so we understand that God has laws or keys that open up areas of life for us. Uh, there is a law of confession. If a man believeth in his heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and will confess with his mouth that he is Lord, he shall be what? Saved. Can you get saved without believing and confessing or declaring his lordship over you in some way, shape, or form? No. Well, can he still be Lord if after you confess, you go back to the world? No. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruits. In other words, listen to me, fruits are demanded by God. We might not like to look at them or judge them or call them forth, but you know, Jesus is not ashamed to say, if you call me Lord, I expect you to be like who I am. All right, so we see that there is a law of confession. There is a law of faith, Romans 3.21. There's a law of faith. There's a law of confession. And there are many laws in the kingdom. The law of association, iron sharpens iron. Or sin produces sin. Righteousness produces righteousness. Those are laws. Everything produces after its own kind. Now, let's go to Luke uh, 638 we're going to look at the law of sowing and reaping somebody say thank God that first part's over I was just kidding you you shouldn't thank God you ought to be glad now here is a law somebody say a law this is not the law of humanity the law of humanity is take all you can get and keep all that you can keep whether you got to cheat on your taxes lie about things whatever it takes you do it the world's way because of the spirit of greed and it says give and it shall be given how many of you believe that six of you hallelujah given it shall be given good measure pressed down shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that ye might with all it shall be measured to you again. Now that is the law of increase. The law of increase is subject to every man. It's not subject to God, it is subject to every individual. And you can give or you can keep. You can withhold or you can scatter. But it's not up to God to drag you or to force you into giving. He expects us to live by faith. Come on, hallelujah. Now, let's go to uh, Philippians 4, 15 through 19. Somebody say the law of increase. It's a law of, of sowing and reaping. Now, this law is not subject to God. It is subject to you. The key has been given to you. Now, there is nothing in the kingdom of darkness that will increase. Nothing. It will always steal, it will always destroy, and bring you to ruin. We see that by the life of the prodigal son. And it says this, Now, ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Notice the phrase, no church. In other words, it's not that the truth was not there. It's just that lots of people really are not even interested in finding the keys of life. Well, if I make $100,000, I don't need the keys of life, said the man with no vision. 
You think $100,000 is a lot of money? Really? I have a piece of ground waiting in Kenya, in Kenya for a Bible college that it's estimated a million American dollars. If I could get 10 of you to give me your year's wages, we could build that. $100,000. And you think that's more than God could do for you? No. No, absolutely not. Giving and receiving. Somebody say, it must be a secret from God. Because no other churches had it. And no other churches were even interested in it. Isn't that a crying shame? Now, let's go to the next verse. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. In other words, people don't just give one time and it didn't work. It becomes a way of life. Not because I desire a gift. Somebody say, Paul's not after their money. But if Paul was preaching today in most venues, they would complain about him desiring an offering. He's just wanting our money. Really? Really? Well, I just don't like the way he's, he takes it up. Really? You are not to like or dislike. You are to live by the law that is behind the receiving of the gift. See, sometimes, they, well, I just don't like the way he does it. Okay. What does that have to do with the law of doing it? See, we want everybody to fit our jello mode of what we think is appropriate and not. You know, how would you like to have, hey, how many of you would like to have two prophets in our house? Okay, how would you like to have a great prophet in our house? Well, I got news for you. I think maybe God might bring us Isaiah as a prophet. The problem is his, his resume says he laid buck naked in the middle of the street with cow dung on him. I, I just don't like the resume presentation. But some of you would have missed the greatest revelation of redemption that any prophet has ever prophesied because you wouldn't like his smell, you wouldn't like his approach, you wouldn't like his demeanor. You wouldn't like him getting up and shaking himself and coming in on Sunday morning still buck naked and saying, Whoo, I feel God. You'd all get up and leave the house. Yeah. Because he wouldn't fit in your jello mold. How would you like to have John the Baptist come in? Popping locusts in between the words that he said dressed in camel's hair with no underwear on. Would you like that? No, you wouldn't like that either. He's not welcome here. He's just not welcome. Why? Because we have a jello mold of what we think should be right. And anyway, they're our ministers. They're not God's. And they get to hear only what we like and not what he likes. You know, that's a rebuke to somebody today. Yep, and now next verse. Next verse. Not, not because I want your money, but because I desire a gift. I desire a gift. Somebody say a gift. But I have all, I abound all, I am full. Having received of Ephroditus the things which you have sent for me, they are an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Did he write that to all the churches concerning not giving and receiving? No. That is based upon a life of giving and receiving. So I, I'll just claim it anyway. Well, I know, but you've got to meet the conditions. Hallelujah. Now, 
Let's go over to 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9. Man, this is a long 45 minutes. Hallelujah. All right. Praise God. Let's just take a break and shout, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise God. All right. Now let's get back. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 8, 8. It says this. I speak by command. I speak not by command, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, somebody say he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made what? Rich. And I know that rich is a, like a dirty word in America. Because we think the rich has some way stolen everything that they have. But if it wasn't for the rich, 90% of us wouldn't have a job. Well, well, they ought to just give it to me. No, you should have been there when they started and they were hungry and they were going without and their family was in jeopardy. Their houses were being repossessed and they were living in shanties to bring forth their dream. Where were you? You were not in the dream world. You were still waiting for a job that they had enough guts to invest their life in so that you could work. Amen? And you went and asked them for a job, and you agreed for a certain amount of money. Now, if you don't like what they offered, you leave. But listen, it's not the rich that is our problem. The rich are not our problem. It's that we as believers have to rise up and be what God has called us to be. And if you're wanting what the rich have, it's just called greed and idolatry. Boy, the hallelujah just went down. Did you see that? You know, they have that chart on a news thing. This is what they thought of the speech. Boy, it went. <laughs> yep, hallelujah. All right, notice what it said. Somebody says, the grace of God. Now you know the grace of God. What is sowing and reaping? It is the key to the grace of God's riches. Come on, that's what it is. What is sowing and reaping? You understand the grace of God. He was rich. He became poor that you might be rich. Well, how do we access that grace? We access that grace, that promise, by faith. Could I say amen? Come on, by faith. And we do it by operating or releasing the keys or the laws of the kingdom of life. Now, it's no more different than the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24 that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. We've already been healed. What is the key to healing? Not that it's already been, it's already been provided by grace. What is the key to healing? Somebody say faith. Come on, faith. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Thy faith hath made thee well. Thy faith hath delivered thee. If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Faith is not making God do something. Faith is activating what God has already done. All right. By grace have we received forgiveness of sins when we use faith and confess that he is Lord. By faith do we operate, receive the gift of healing that Jesus provided by the stripes of Jesus on his back by faith. Somebody say by faith. We also now use the law of sowing and reaping to access the grace that provided riches by faith. Somebody say by faith. Now, is everybody going to be healed? No, because lots of people don't believe in healing. Now, it's not God's 
desire that you're not healed. We could call for the elders of the church anytime and have the prayer of faith prayed and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord Jesus Christ himself will raise you up. No doubt, no wonder, no questions. Look, it's just what it is. If you're sick, you can get healed. Secondly, every sinner can be saved. And if you're here today and you're a sinner, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You say, well, I go to the Baptist church. I don't care where you go to the bathroom at. It doesn't matter. You have to be saved. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whosoever receives and holds a membership. Come on, your church name will never get you to heaven. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away your sin. Amen. There is no substitute. And we can only be saved by using our faith and confessing that he is the Lord of our life. And then we can only tap in to the riches. Now, now I didn't write this. Jesus came and became poor for us that through his poverty you might be That you might be, but we all know that that's just some type of metaphor for something. But it can't mean money. Money is just evil. No, the love of money is evil. All right, now what is God's plan? Is God's plan that everybody be healed? Is it God's plan that everybody be saved? What are we going to do? Is it God's plan that everybody be, you know, that word you guys use? I just don't even want to say it to people who think I'm cussing. You, you, does God want everybody to be? Hmm. Now, now, I'm not preaching wealth without purpose. I'm preaching that you obtain wealth for the use for the kingdom and its expansion. God gives us the power to get well to establish the kingdom of God. And so we have to understand that wealth is a part of our redemption. Yep. It is. I'll tell you, it's just amazing to me. Now, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 10 through 12. And it says this, for herein I give my advice. For this is expedient for you to have begun before not only to do, but also to be in forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there must be a performance also out of that which you have. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according that he hath not. What does that mean? That means that a man has to be willing to live by the laws of sowing and reaping. Now, you may think so deceptively like most people think if i don't have a lot to give it doesn't matter oh no zachariah 4 10 no you can't despise small beginnings look a field of wheat starts with one kernel the whole kingdom of god started with one seed jesus christ falling into the ground and it rising up and we are the fruit of his planting amen we are the fruit of his planting. He said, if I don't die, I will abide alone. If I do not fall to the ground, I will abide by alone. But once a seed is sown, it makes a divine connection that allows the grace of God to go to work on the behalf of the sower. Now, here it says that you have a readiness to will. Get in your mind, I want to be a sower. Get in your mind that God has a purpose for your sowing and reaping, that you might partake of the grace, of the grace of God, which is what? To empower you or to enable you 
to do things that you could never do on your own. Now, notice that it says, it's according to that a man has. You know what? You can start out with a penny. But if you're going to wait to win the lottery, to give, you're never going to make it. Because in the seed sowing process, remember there is an increase of the fruits of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 9.10 that we talked about. It's the entirety of the systematic working of God in our life. So when God is causing you to reap and sow, even in small beginnings, he's transforming you on the inside to be able to handle that which he is going to place in your hands so that you will always be in a place of honoring him with your substance. So don't wait till you get a million dollars because you're not going to do it anyway. <laughs> Start right now. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. Could have get an amen. Yes, hallelujah. All right, so let's jump over to 2 Corinthians 9. What time do I have? Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to wait till next week. Wait till next week. I might have had 15 rabbit trails, but I'm trying to get you to realize there are laws of the spirit of life that will bring you into the immeasurable outpour of God's grace. If I give you a key and you don't put it in the keyhole, you can stand outside and never experience what has been provided. But if you'll take that key and use it, you will enter into areas of the kingdom that the fearful, the unbelieving, the doubtful, the worrisome, the double-minded will never ever enter into. But we have to make the decision to get away from the things that we may have migrated to as the prodigals, and we need to return right back to the house of God. And we need to enter in and submit ourselves to the rule of the Father and pick up our sonship privileges that God intended us to live under. Amen? And so wherever you are, however far you've got away, it's time to come back. And it's time to refresh our faith in sowing and reaping. It's time to refresh ourselves in the things of God so that we can reap of the grace of God. But we cannot, folks, continue to just live in and out. Visit the Father's house when we got problems and run back to the sewage of the world when everything's fine. We just need to stop that. Amen? And we're notorious for doing that. We're notorious of thinking we can handle it. Then going back and, you know, doing whatever we do. Then when we get in a problem, we run back to the altar, re-give our life to Jesus. Father, I'm back home. Well, I know, but one of these ways, you're going to fall in such a dark path that you aren't going to find yourself coming home. You say, oh, I just don't believe that. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, you just believe it. Because one time the Father's going to beckon you to repent. You're going to say, absolutely not. This woman is better. This way is better. This addiction is better. I don't like doing. It's too hard to do. I don't want to go back. And God's going to say, you don't want to respond. No, I don't want to respond. Well, there is no party for those that have went from children to being bastards. And if you don't endure the chastening of the Lord, he'll count you as a bastard. And that might be hard language for you. Somebody said, well, you're just cussing without cussing. Oh, no, I can cuss. If I, I mean, I can't now. I kind of forgot, but I used to be able to cuss. This ain't cussing. God ain't a cusser. He's warning you the tragedy of what happens when a man turns his back on God. Now, we're going to... I don't know about you. I want to be more involved. I want to be more receptive to the grace of God than I've ever been in my life. 
And I need more of God's grace so that I can do what he's asking me or that he may want to ask me to do in the future. And so if I don't prepare, how could he ask me? Son, build that woman a house. How could he ask me to build a widow a house if I had never sown and reaped? I just took my paycheck and did what I did. But I'm so limited by the work of my own hands. But faith never sleeps. Seeds never get sick. And they always work no matter what I'm doing. And it's growing and it's multiplying. And God will empower me. And one day he may say, son, I want you to build these widows a house. And I won't have to say, well, God, how can I borrow the money? God, I ain't got no money. I ain't. Well, who would God call upon? Well, Donald Trump's a Christian now, so hey, or at least he says he, I'm not sure about all the language, but, you know, movie stars are supposed to be Christians, and they cuss like sailors, and... And we all support their movies and shout hallelujah. They're coming out with a new book. and whew. That's not good, David. Even you and I know that ain't good. Amen. And uh, so, who's it going to be? Who's God going to ask? Oh, I know we'll get HUD. We'll let HUD do the church's work. Oh, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll get him into... Uh, uh, affordable living. We'll, we'll let them take care of it. No. It's not the world's job. Amen. It's the church's job. Amen. But unless we are empowered by grace, we will always be sending our needy to the government. And that's not good. Absolutely not good. So we're going to begin to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we are doers of the word to be empowered by grace to be doers of God's will. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God with every head bowed just for a few moments. You might be here today and you say, boy, I just can't stand that. Talk about money. I understand. Let me talk to you just for a moment. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have sin on your life. And if you have sin on your life, it separates you from God according to Isaiah 52, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Jesus came to die for our sins. He came to hang up on Calvary for our sins, to shed his blood that you and I could have our sins forgiven. Now, the reason that Jesus come to the Calvary, because all men have sinned, and that's you and I. And so you may be here today and say, well, you know, I'm not a Christian. That means that you are separated from God. But the good news to you today is, is that Jesus gave his life, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but would have eternal life. See, Jesus wants to reconcile you to God by grace. And he set in motion, giving his life that you might receive life. Now, Jesus is here to save you. He's here to wash away all of your sins. He's here to reconcile you unto God. He's here to become Lord of your life. And simply what he asks is this. I've given my life for you. Now in order for you to be saved, you must give your life to me. As I died for you, my requirement for you is that you now live for me. And that you put me above mother, father, sister, brothers, or anything else. I ask that you love me more than you love yourself and anybody else because that's how I loved you. I died on the cross. 
I shed my blood. I would not and I don't regret one drop of it because I love you so much. But Jesus is here today saying, come unto me, you that are heavy laden and burdened, and he'll give you rest. Nobody can enter or come into the Father except by Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand if you're not a Christian. So weigh it out. Are you ready to give your life to Christ? He gave it for you. There's no shortcuts. There's just no way to get to God except through Jesus. One, you're here today not just because you didn't have anything to do, but I believe God is giving you a divine appointment. You have a choice to make. Two, Jesus came to give you life in it more abundantly. He beseeches you, call upon me, and I will deliver you from sin. Confess me with your mouth, and thou shalt be saved. All you have to do is believe and make a proclamation. Now, if you're not a Christian, you aren't serving the Lord, when I say three, I simply want you to raise your hand up in the air. Three, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you say, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. You say, man, that, that's a tough altar call. No, it's not a tough altar call. It's a real altar call. Jesus doesn't take half-heartedness. Now, is there anybody here who says, you know what, Pastor, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. Is there a hand up that I don't see? Okay, praise God. Hopefully, every mind is cleared. Now, let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Somebody say, God is good. Yes, He is. And uh, I'm telling you, I just believe we need to just give our life to Jesus wholeheartedly. No more wish-washing. The times are going to come that we have to establish whom we will serve. Amen? Now, Today is membership day. This is not a membership message. But come here, Phyllis. Come over here, red shoes. Them aren't red, them are pink. With pink toenails. Hallelujah. So we come uh, just about every month. We give people an opportunity. If you've been attending here, maybe you're your first time, or maybe your fifth or sixth time. But you believe that God wants you to be a part of the family of faith right here at Only Believe Ministries Christian Center, which requires this, that you must be born again. That requires that you be participant of the assembly and not just an observer, that you be a participant, active, living and seeking God. So if you have chosen today to be a part of our family of faith, Simply step out in the aisle that's nearest you and come on down here and let Phyllis and I pray for you today. Praise God. So if that's you, hallelujah. Come on down. There you go. Come down. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, praise God. Anyone else? Hey, good to see you guys. Anyone else? Now this couple right here got saved off the street witnessing team. Somebody said, oh, we never see fruit. We see hundreds of fruit. They just don't all attend our church. This couple came and gave their life to Christ, and praise God, we're just excited. And we're excited about everybody that becomes a part. Hello, how are you guys doing? Hallelujah. And so what Phyllis and I are going to do today is we're going to pray with you. And number one, we want to thank you that you trust us and we're going to pray that we become better pastors. So if we become better pastors, you can be better believers, better people. We're going to pray that the blessing of this household comes upon you, that your faith increases. And Phyllis and I give you the guarantee that we're not going to live unholy lives. If we do, I'm going to kill her. And, and 
I'm kidding you. <laughs> Absolutely. We're in this thing for the long haul. Amen. And so if we would just join hands today. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for these new brothers and sisters in our family of faith. God, we thank you that you've washed them in the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that they are wholeheartedly dedicated to you. We ask God that the blessing on this house would come upon their life. We ask God that their faith would grow, that God, they would begin to be transformed in a way they never have. God, let their identity in Christ begin to rise up and take its position. Let them know that they are your best. You did not make inferior things and that God, you've called them, ordained them in this time of the history of humanity. They are your best, God. You put your best in them. You use your best to redeem them. And God, you sent your best to lead and guide them. Now, God, strengthen them and their households. And then, God, we ask Phyllis and I that, God, we would be better pastors than we've ever been. God, consecrate us in a greater way. Cause us, God, to be more sensitive. Cause us, God, to be more dedicated. That, God, we will be prepared to bring the word of the Lord to these people now God bless them join them to our family and let our family of faith God remember their faces and lift them up in Jesus name